Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is Joseph L. Flatley, and you are listening to Failed State Update. And in this episode, we are going to talk about Havana Syndrome. To give you kind of the mainstream idea of what Havana Syndrome is, I am going to read from the most mainstream of sources out there, Wikipedia. Havana Syndrome is a set of medical signs and symptoms reported by United States and Canadian Embassy staff first in Havana, Cuba, dating to late 2016, and subsequently in other countries. The U.S. Department of State has referred to the events as Unexplained Health Incidents, or UHIs, while the director of the CIA has publicly called them attacks. In 2018, U.S. diplomats in China reported problems similar to those reported in Cuba, as did undercover CIA agents working in other countries with partner agencies on missions aimed at countering Russian covert operations. Robert Bartholomew is an American medical sociologist, journalist, and author living in New Zealand. And he literally wrote the book on Havana Syndrome, or co-wrote it. Havana Syndrome, Mass Psychogenic Illness, and the Real Story Behind the Embassy Mystery and Hysteria was published by Springer and is kind of the go-to book on the phenomenon. In today's episode, we're going to talk to Mr. Bartholomew, and we are also going to speak to Robert Scavarla, the assistant editor at Diabolique magazine and creator of the website Mondo Americana. Uh, We've been talking a lot lately, mostly through Twitter, about the geopolitical implications of this topic and really comparing, contrasting Havana Syndrome people with the targeted individual community. So it's a double-header failed state update this time around, and I hope you appreciate it. Baby, 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 loco. Baby, 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 mambo. Pete on the way to Havana. Used to make a living by picking the bananas. Now I'm a guy for the CIA. Raised I am a medical sociologist in the Department of Psychological Medicine at uh, Auckland University, where I'm an honorary senior lecturer. I am one of the only sociologists in the world specializing for the past 35 years in mass psychogenic illness, aka mass hysteria and social panics. And I've written books on the history of UFOs, uh, haunted houses, Bigfoot, and America's Loch Ness Monster, the Lake Champlain Monster. I am a sympathetic skeptic. I want to believe, but uh, facts first. If you were to explain to somebody what a psychogenic illness is, it sounds more, you know, 
it's not a popular concept. To some people, it probably sounds more outlandish than angels or aliens or, you know, Cuban microwaves. When you say it's not a popular concept, it's both not a popular concept and it's not a popular concept, right? There's a lot of misconceptions about it. Mass psychogenic illness refers to the rapid spread of illness signs and symptoms for which there's no plausible organic etiology. Now, what does that mean? There's no underlying physiological reason for the symptoms. They are functional. For example, about a third of the patients that see neurologists do not have any organic uh, condition that can be uh, seen. It's considered to be um, psychological. Um, so what does that mean? Think of it as the placebo effect in reverse. If I give you a sugar pill and tell you you're going to feel better, often you will. It's the power of the mind. It's the power of belief. It's the power of framing. But if I give you a sugar pill and tell you you're going to feel better and then someone suddenly rushes into the room and says, oh, my God, that sugar pill I just gave you, it's been contaminated with rat poison there is a good chance that within the next few minutes you might get stomach pain, headache, nausea, you might even vomit, but there's nothing physically wrong with you. Think of it as a software problem, an overstimulation of the nervous system. And these episodes reflect the event scenario. So if you think you've had food poisoning, you're more likely to have stomach pain, headache, nausea. Um, if you think you've been exposed to some toxic chemical in the air, your eyes might start watering and get red. One thing I hear is when I hear people talk about this, they use words like psychotic or mentally ill, but that's not what you're talking about. That's correct. There are delusions in psychiatry where people lose touch with reality. And then there are social delusions that sociologists and social psychologists refer to, and that's what I'm referring to here. It is a social delusion. Um, it is a large-scale belief in something that there's really no solid evidence to support the existence of. Yeah, and it, it sounds like a lot of what we go through on a personal level or individually is really dictated by society or the tribe or just, you know, large groups of people. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, what's the famous book, uh, Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds? Mm -hmm. History is replete with, with examples of this. There's always something going on at any given time. For the past five years, it's been this condition known as Havana syndrome, and now you've got a secondary outbreak, right? You've got the initial outbreak in Cuba, which was is very different than what's happening now all over the world. And people are linking it. Oh, it's another case of Havana syndrome. It's in Germany. Now there's one in Austria, and, you know, it's all over the world. That's very different than what happened in Havana. Yeah, and, and we'll get back to Havana syndrome in one second, but maybe it'll help for the context to maybe give a historical case of something happening that seemed inexplicable at the time, but in retrospect is psychogenic illness is the same phenomenon as Havana syndrome. Well, the witch scare mm. of the uh, 1690s in Salem. You know, there was a search for imaginary enemies. People believed in witches and witchcraft and the, the ability to bewitch people. It's not that dissimilar to Havana syndrome. The search for an imaginary enemy, the usual suspects, China, Russia, or the Cubans working with them, right? And um, if people said there were witches, somebody visited your house, your pet died, or you felt unwell after they, right after they left. Right. Oh, must have been a spell cast by a witch. With Havana syndrome, you get the initial belief. And then it spreads. These things happen all the time. And mass psychogenic illness happens all the time. I can remember I was in America in uh, October of 2001 after the September 11th attacks. And we had the um, anthrax scare. 
And at that time in October, there was, uh, and this is so typical, this guy walks into a subway system in Maryland mm-hmm. and takes out this container and starts spraying a transit authority officer with it. He wrestles the guy to the ground. Police come in, they wrestle him down, and uh, the container spills onto the ground. Over 30 people were taken to the hospital with nausea, headache, difficulty breathing, uh, eye problems. It turned out that he had a common window cleaner that he was spraying. It was an oculus. Yet these people had symptoms because because they thought they were the victims of a chemical or a biological attack. People are primed, right? So they saw this terror event. They've heard about the anthrax scares. They're primed, they're pumped, they're ready, basically, to be attacked or something. So when, when this event occurs, they're off to the races. Look, it's easy, right? There's an old saying. It's been out there for hundreds of years. Speak of the devil, and he is bound to appear. And that's what's happened here. Now, suddenly, people, whether it's Bigfoot, whether it's UFOs, whether it's lake monsters, these episodes go in waves. You get these flaps of sightings. And when there's an initial sensational case gets reported, then all of a sudden, people are scrutinizing their environment where ordinarily they wouldn't. They're staring at the sky. Mm -hmm. They're staring at the woods. They're staring at the water. And they start redefining ambiguous objects that ordinarily they wouldn't even notice very much. Mm -hmm. And you coming from Pennsylvania, I mean, that's one of the Bigfoot uh, capitals of America, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's funny. I just, I was just uh, on the highway today and stopped at a rest stop and found a, there was a group of uh, Sasquatch hunters there with their shirts on and their bumper stickers on the cars and stuff. The big researcher in Pennsylvania for Bigfoot is Stan Gordon. Yes. I, I know that because I wrote two books on Bigfoot with my brother. My brother's a believer. Uh-huh. I'm a sympathetic skeptic. And I do know from like talking to UFO experiencers that once you kind of hear their stories, none of them just woke up one day and saw a UFO. <laughs> you know, like a lot of them, not only is our extraterrestrials and UFOs kind of in the ambient culture to the point where if we're not even paying attention, we know the story of like how you're supposed to, what you're supposed to see and what's supposed to happen if you're abducted. But a lot of these people I talk to, have been reading about UFOs and are huge fans and almost trying to will some kind of encounter into existence. Yeah, and sometimes it's positive and sometimes it's negative, right? It's positive in the form of UFOs who are almost like saviors from the sky if they were to share their technology with us. And um, But with some monsters, it's, it's negative. And what is it Shakespeare once said? Or in the night imagining some fear how easy is a bush supposed a bear that would be the negative aspect of it but then you got the positive aspect of it like at uh, fatima you know people are looking for miracles and i think you know the bigfoot and ufo's in a way are anti-scientific symbols in an increasingly secular age You know, science says, oh, Bigfoot can't exist. There's no fossils. There's no bones. There's no body. There's no DNA evidence. Yet Farmer Joe down the road, who I went to school with, and I wouldn't lie, he swore he saw it. And I think there's an implication in there that if Bigfoot is real, then maybe scientists have got religion wrong as well. You know, there's there's a lot deeper going on here. I've spent a lot of time on YouTube trying to find like Bigfoot hunters and looking at UFO videos. And like, there's this thing me and my friends laugh about because it's like, it's supposed to be proof of Bigfoot. And people go out in the woods and they see like piles of sticks or piles of rocks. 
and somehow that's supposed to mean Bigfoot are in the area and that's how they communicate or something. Or the knocking sounds, right. which is ridiculous. I mean, birds do that. Some animals do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, you know, the UFOs, you know, we got some UFO hunters in the area that have YouTube videos and you watch it and it's just like, it's laughable. Like what's obviously an airplane at night is flying overhead and it sounds like an airplane and, it, you know, the lights on the, the pattern of the lights and and like that's... And what is going on there? Because I know these people, oftentimes I know these people personally, and they're not idiots, and they're not crazy. Look, most most UFO sightings are lights in the night, right? And people start redefining ambiguous, almost exclusively nocturnal aerial stimuli, reflective of what's being reported in society at any given time. You know, they are literally signs of the times. There have been UFO sighting waves, you know, for, for hundreds of years. And what, what those people are changes over time, right? In the late 1800s, it was believed to be some uh, new inventor of an airship. And, um, you know, you had the ghost rockets in uh, Sweden in 1946, thought to have been uh, Russian secret remote-controlled, possibly atomic missiles, um, and it just changes with the times. And so, in a sense, the sky becomes this Rorschach inkblot test. You know, people start seeing what they want to see. Most people, you know, they want to believe. But I really think that um, the power of UFOs is the power that they are saviors from the sky. And look, if you look at science fiction encounters and the alleged real encounters, what you find is the vast majority of, of stories talk about uh, aliens who are thousands of years old or are immortal because of their technology, right? And the implication being if they could share their technology, they could raise us to the immortal realm of the gods. That's, you know, that's the underlying lore of UFOs, they can give you immortality, potentially, if they share that technology. So now, in a sense, they are a substitute for God in a secular age. And then you've also got that erosion of science with UFOs and Bigfoot and lake monster sightings and chupacabras and the Jersey Devil, right, as being these anti-scientific symbols. So what is going on with Havana syndrome? Well, um, back in late 2016, you had a small unit of CIA officers operating in Havana. And they started hearing these strange noises outside their homes at night. And then one day, one of them had ear pain and uh, headache. And um, he went to the embassy clinic and he said, you know, um, it was almost like somebody had a beam that they were of sound. They were pointing at my house. And it's typical symptoms, right? That common symptoms that a doctor would treat in any office in any given day. And nobody thought much of it. But then they heard a couple of reports of other CIA officers from the same unit who the previous month had heard strange sounds outside their home. And the folk theory developed that this was some kind of new secret device that the Cubans were using, possibly in conjunction with the Russians or the Chinese, to harass American diplomats. And you think, well, why would they think that? Because there's a long history going back many decades during the Cold War where the Cuban agents would surveil Americans 24-7 and they would harass them at night as they were sleeping in their homes. They'd open up all the windows and they'd be filled with mosquitoes when they woke up in the morning. Um, you'd get up in the morning, walk downstairs, and there'd be cigarette butts on your kitchen table and you don't smoke. There'd be dog poo on your kitchen floor and you don't have a dog. Um, your bookshelf might have the books rearranged. Um, just to give them their calling card to let you know that they're watching you, 
you park somewhere and then someone parks right behind you within an inch and a half and you can't get out. Just low-level harassment for the most part. And that went on and it became part of CIA folklore because it was so aggressive and pervasive. So when the new diplomats went over to Cuba in 2015 and the embassy was reopened by Obama, everybody was told you're gonna be surveilled 24 seven and everyone knew that history of what had happened. And there was a sense of social paranoia. And that's the context where they heard these strange sounds and this one guy felt unwell. And then the rumor started that there was some kind of sonic device because they'd heard a sound, right? And it was being pointed and targeting US staff over there. And that rumor spread through the American embassy and the American embassy um, shared its intelligence uh, about that with the Canadian embassy. And lo and behold, the Canadians are reporting similar symptoms. And so what's happened now is you got all these studies came out, four different studies of the patients. They are terrible studies. Two in one of the world's top medical journals, the Journal of the American Medical Association, really poorly done studies that should never have been published. Um, and so you get this out there, it gets reported in the news and people see Journal of the American Medical Association. Oh, it must be true. And um, this is a classic example of bad science, bad journalism, and bad government. All three areas have let us down. And there's all this misinformation out there that there's brain damage and hearing loss. Absolutely, 100%, will bet my life on it, stake my career. It's not even speculation. Didn't happen. Couldn't have happened if you look at the evidence there. I mean, it's just, it's, it's absurd what's happened. This is a, a social panic, you know, right up there with the uh, satanic cult scare of the mid 80s and early 90s. And um, panics in the past, you know, the red scare. Um, and it's gotten out of hand. And it's gotten out of hand because of shoddy journalism. It's gotten out of hand because of social media and anything goes on there, right? and um, the American government botching the whole operation and some bad scientific studies. And the satanic panic, a lot of those claims were absurd and impossible, but a lot of them just boiled down to, like, Satanists are abusing or killing people. But the Havana syndrome, there's, like, nothing plausible about it at all. You, you talk about in your book what would be required. There's no such thing as sound waves or microwave weapons that could inflict the kind of damage that the Havana syndrome people are claiming. Could you explain kind of the science behind that a little bit? Look, 99% of the sound waves that bounce off the outer wall. So you've got basically four different theories for Havana syndrome. Mm -hmm. The first theory that came out was it was a sonic weapon that was being used to harass the American diplomats. They were using sound waves that were directed at them. Now, the curious thing is, none of this happened at the embassy. It happened to embassy staff in their homes and in one of two hotels and in one apartment complex. And supposedly they were using these sound waves to make them feel unwell. Um, it's really far-fetched. Um, it's not possible to target people inside a building. I've seen these hotels. I was recently in Havana. These are large structures. To be able to target somebody inside a hotel, 99% of the sound waves would bounce off the outer wall. It would defy the laws of physics. It would be like a person standing at one end of a football field with a squirt gun and trying to hit a target at the other end. It would defy the laws of physics. It just ain't gonna happen. The second explanation is it's pesticides that were being sprayed to kill mosquitoes that were carrying the Zika virus. The problem with that explanation is other people didn't get sick. There is no neurotoxin in the world that only affects American and Canadian diplomats and their families. End of story, it's not pesticides. 
And then you, they came up with a third explanation, that it's microwave radiation and this thing called the Frey effect that can affect the nervous system. Uh, this gained popularity when the National Academy of Sciences issued their report um, at the end of last year suggesting it could be the Frey effect. Um, here's the problem. The National Academy of Sciences panel, as best I can tell, there wasn't a single expert on the Frey effect. The first scientist to identify the mechanism in the Frey effect was Kenneth Foster. He's a bioengineering professor at the University of Pennsylvania. I was in touch with him yesterday. He says it's definitely not the Frey effect. It's just not possible. And now you come to the final explanation, mass psychogenic illness. This is by far the most likely explanation. Um, the first people affected were CIA agents from this small station in Havana. It's a defining feature of mass hysteria, follow social networks. They commonly begin in small cohesive groups and spread outward. They commonly evolve people of higher status, spreading to people of lower status. That's exactly what happened here. And so, look, if I had $100 to bet on, on all these explanations, I'd put it all on mass psychogenic illness. And I would sleep well. Mass psychogenic illness is known. It's been understood for a long time. And it was determined that Havana syndrome was mass psychogenic illness years ago. So how does the story come back and how does the media get it so wrong? Well, that's a good uh, question. The studies that have come out have suggested, well, the CDC study wasn't sure. Um, there was a study put out by the National Academy of Sciences said, they're really not sure, but if we had to make a guess, uh, it's pulse microwave radiation using the Frey effect. Um, two other studies that were never released uh, until recently, the contents, were kept secret. All the time while the government was peddling the microwave and or sonic or Frey effect explanations. And the first one was the FBI report. The FBI report has still never been made public, but it was recently released, the contents. Their conclusion, it was mass psychogenic illness. And many of the attacks that occurred that were recorded when they were occurring were the sounds of crickets and cicadas. The other report is the so-called Jason report, J-A-S-O-N. And um, that is a group of top scientists in their field who have been giving classified advice since the 1960s in the Cold War to the State Department. And they said it was highly unlikely it was the Frey effect and pulse microwave radiation. And they said there's a lot going for the mass hysteria explanation. Funny thing, those reports, the Jason report was only released a few days ago, and that was because of a Freedom of Information Act request that was filed. Then the FBI report still hasn't been released. I think you've got politics mixing with science. I also think the U.S. State Department knows what happened at this point. Most intelligence agencies have figured it out, but now they're embarrassed to think that they've mistaken the sounds of crickets and cicadas for a sonic attack. I mean, it just shows incompetence, and it's going to be greatly embarrassing to the intelligence community. Yeah, and, you know, there must be some sort of geopolitical component, at least in some people's heads, maybe not conscious, but like, you know, I saw Marco Rubio on Fox News kind of saber-rattling about this. And it's really interesting that this story can actually be used, you know, can be used to blame China or Cuba or there just seems to be a political component that masks or undoes any of the science. Absolutely. I've studied mass psychogenic illness for 35 years. I did part of my PhD on it. I've published dozens of articles in peer-reviewed medical journals Marco Rubio, uh, if you're listening, um, doesn't know anything about mass psychogenic illness. 
based on his um, Senate Foreign Relations Committee hearing back in 2018. Um, the way he described it as people being hypochondriacs and things like this, and the way he dismissed it was uh, very uh, unscientific and very ignorant. He clearly doesn't know what he's talking about. Are you familiar with the term targeted individuals or gang stalking? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've been in touch with, um, I don't know, maybe a couple of dozen of these people mm -hmm. who since um, Professor Robert Ballow at UCLA Medical Center and I have been investigating this case for the past four years. And uh, as we're writing our book, um, every month or so, I get an email from a targeted individual a person that came, claims they've been stalked by electronic uh, devices, right, that, that um, they're hearing voices. And I think um, the majority of these people uh, should seek psychiatric treatment. Some of them may be hearing voices and have no known um, psychiatric condition, but just like people who claim to hear voices of ghosts and spirits, it may not be a psychiatric condition, but they're not there, right? I mean, no one's stalking these people. Um, this is a social uh, delusion at the very best. And at the, at the worst, it's um, psychosis and schizophrenia and a variety of, of conditions where these people are not normal. Yeah, you know, I did a kind of in-depth feature about the targeted individual community for a website a few years ago. And since then... Uh, get emails like probably once a month, sometimes like every other week from people experiencing this. And, um, and it really seems like, again, talk about the community element, you know, the fact that they have a kind of online subculture. Now they have a name targeted individuals. They can t discuss this. They can kind of refine the phenomenon perhaps seems to have expanded it, you know, has kind of opened it up more than if these people were all kind of isolated. And the targeted individual thing really seems to be kind of like analogous to what's happening with the Havana syndrome. And I mean, even talk about, you know, a foreign government is after me. I'm having these symptoms and a foreign government is beaming them into my head or whatever. And it's just kind of telling that when a certain group has them targeted individuals, they're ignored or they're crazy. But then when CIA agents have them, all of a sudden, it's a national security problem. Exactly. And a similar thing happened with Morgellons in the early 2000s. People got together with a variety of conditions. Um, and they banded together on the Internet. And I think the Internet has changed a lot in social media. And it's not for the better. Well, thanks so much, Robert. Um, really appreciate the conversation. If people want to follow you or you know check out your books, how should they get a hold of you? I have a uh, website, and um, that website is rebartholomew.com. My most recent book is Havana Syndrome with Robert Ballo, a professor of neurology at the UCLA Medical Center. And, you know, Robert Ballo got involved in this case, and we wrote the book, because the Journal of the American Medical Association went to him first when they had this first study they did on the patients. And they noticed that a number of the studies that were involved that they were using were created by Professor Ballo. So they asked him to review the article. He rejected the article, and they published it anyway, and he was just stunned by that, stunned and um, then started looking into it more. And uh, so, yeah, I've got a number of books out there that are um, on uh, Amazon. And yeah, I've been, um, I've written on UFOs, Ghost, uh, Bigfoot. I am a sympathetic skeptic. I need to see the body of the dead Bigfoot in front of me. I see, need to see the space alien right there. And um, yeah, I, I, you know, it's fascinating what's going on. Uh, we live in a fascinating world, and um, I love doing this stuff. I asked you what, why the media got it so wrong. Why, why did the Journal of the American Medical Association get it so wrong? I can only think of one explanation, and that is um, 
Politics has been mixed with science, possibly pressure from the American government. Um, at best, poor judgment. The 2018 Journal of the American Medical Association study will go down in medical history as one of the worst studies ever published. I mean, it should never have been published. Uh, there are serious, serious flaws with that study and the 2019 study. Um, they've got serious problems with those studies. And um, it's a concern given that it's such a prestigious medical journal. I don't think those are poor studies. I know they are poor studies. Next up, we're going to talk to Robert Scavala. He's a conspiracy theorist. And I don't mean that in the pejorative. I mean, like me, he's fascinated in these parapolitical topics. And we kind of get into the difficulty of covering topics like this. Uh, the second half of this is more definitely philosophical or conversational and... Uh, we kick off the discussion with the topic of targeted individuals, which Robert Bartholomew and I kind of mentioned in the first half. Targeted individuals are people who claim that they are being targeted for surveillance and electronic harassment by the U.S. government or criminal organizations. It's an internet subculture, and as far as I can tell, these people believe this for various reasons, but doesn't mean that it's actually happening to them. I would say that Havana Syndrome sufferers are a type of targeted individual. The only difference is that most TIs blame the government, while Havana Syndrome people blame the Cuban government, which makes them good pawns for U.S. foreign policy. And of course they would, because most of these people are, at least at first, all of them were either CIA agents or part of the State Department. So hang on, you're about to go on a wild ride with Robert Scavarla. So there is technology like that that exists in the military times. In 2019, the Air Force announced that it had created what were essentially um, non-lethal weapons that shoot like energy, like almost like plasma balls that can carry voices over a distance with the idea being that they would shoot these into a crowd and the voice in this energy field would say things like disperse, leave, what have you. So Again, uh, that's obviously not beaming a message into someone's head like VTK technology, but it's something that the military has identified that it has and that it is probably going to be using at some point in the future. And then the further muddy of the waters, you know, before I was <laughs> solely on the conspiracy beat, I, I was a tech journalist. And um, so I am very used to seeing press releases and press items about things that are supposed to exist that don't exist or that are planned to exist that never come to fruition or especially in defense they love to talk about their like secret high-tech crazy weapons that psychotronic weapons yeah that never come to pass or you look into it and it's vaporware so it's like <laughs> i would be really i mean this is the the problem it's like i'm not doubting what you're saying i'm saying like right that could essentially be a psyop, you know, right. exactly. so, you know, so we, we just don't know. And then I got into the whole gang stalking phenomenon into looking into it as I often do when I heard about it and I'm like, Oh, there might be something to this. And I was kind of like, right. Disappointed when I found that like the most celebrated, sources on the subject all turned out to be bs or made up or whatever you right. know and it's really hard to find like really good writing on it i've had people ask me for like writing on the subject and i'm like it's hard because on one end you're either 
you know, you're sending someone into a forum like a subreddit where people are discussing gang stalking, where it's hard to distinguish between who is mentally unwell and maybe someone who is part of a predictive policing program, like a target of that. So you don't want to necessarily send people into that blind. Um, and then on the other end, you have a lot of journalists, academics who often mean well, but um, will automatically shut down discussion. And I'm not saying that gang stalking is as widespread as TIs would claim it to be. I'm saying that in certain circumstances, you can um, point to things that exist in reality as things that are almost indistinguishable from what these people are discussing. But that's kind of the nature of the conspiracy that's conspiracy in general. Yeah. yeah, or yeah, it's really hard to point to people, point people to good sources because of that. Well, not only that, but it's really a community that thrives on creating something out of nothing. And I mean, we talk about misinformation, like conspiracy theorists are creating it all the time, but they think they don't even know they are. It's like faulty logic and an ability to do basic research or ability to think that YouTube is research, YouTube comments. So that's why, you know, I've come to the conclusion that you really have to take every case individually. Individually. And that's just to get a sense of the truth. And I'll have to say, I have never met a targeted individual or gang stalking victim who I didn't come away thinking that there was just something wrong with them. It's not to say that they're not out there. I just don't think that actual victims of state harassment are hanging out in gang stalking forums. I think the overlap between the gang stalking and Havana syndrome is gang stalking victims. Clearly the majority of them have, you know, what Robert Bartholomew would call a mass psychogenic illness or mass or mass hysteria or something Possibly, you know yeah. there's this like community of people that are like talking about these symptoms and then and then manifesting the symptoms all the all the gang stalking victims i've spoken to they don't just w- wake up one day and go you know somebody stole my newspaper and god spoke to me and somebody dumped my cat litter all over the front yard you know it's like they have a clue something's going on. They have stress or anxiety in their life, probably unmanaged. They start talking to other people. They kind of like create a narrative that can quickly become the narrative of I am being gang stalked. Right. Once again, we'll just, you know, annoy people by throwing in caveats every 10 minutes, but <laughs> that's not legitimate victims of of surveillance that is people who come to believe it for some reason, other reason. Right. It's like a similar pathology with Havana syndrome where it's like these people are anxious and they're being told you're going to be harassed, you know, by, by Cuba. And then they're probably stressed out. And then like, you know, there's some sort of trigger, like a sound or a a feeling or a sensation or a smell and they don't feel good. And then it builds up in their mind. And then from there it spreads. I think with gang stalking, um, as with if there is a legitimate government program that was happening with that, we wouldn't know. For example, with COINTELPRO, it was running from the 50s through 1971 officially and then continued in an unofficial capacity for a little while after that. But we only found out because a group of activists in Media Pennsylvania broke into an FBI office. And if you go through like the files for COINTELPRO, you can find things that are identical to gang stalking. For example, in their COINTELPRO New Left files in Philadelphia, where I'm from, what the FBI did to target activists, they, since this being the late 60s, they decided everybody's into magic, everybody's into the occult. So they started sending anonymous letters to people stating, you know, um, beware the Asiatic toad, beware the Siberian scorpion to make them think that, you know, they were being pursued or stalked. In San Diego, there's an example of a writer for the San Diego Free Press, an alternative underground paper, where the FBI decided that um, because this guy already was paranoid, they were going to try to push him over the edge by installing a listening, a fake listening device on his front step to make him think he was being listened to. They would ran- send people around at random intervals. So where I think gang stalking, where it could be legitimate, it's not something we would know. 
And it's not something we would know until a future date when through some twist of fate, someone, you know, broke into an FBI office or there was a leak through like a hacker or something like that. Well, the point I'm trying to make is that when we talk about targeted individuals, we're not talking about all victims of harassment or surveillance. We're talking about this online community. Of course, FBI was doing that stuff with COINTELPRO, but nobody was a targeted individual. Nobody was calling themselves a TI 15 years ago. It was after people learned about COINTELPRO and that became widely known that the TI mythology picked up the facts of COINTELPRO to kind of like retroactively use it as proof of their own harassment. Well, so what's funny about Havana syndrome is there's actually been like a number of conflicting stories, even within the government's own narrative. If you look through the research that the government has done, initially, it was thought these were sonic weapons, you know, things like LRADs, long range acoustic devices or other something similar to that. So the diplomats in Cuba initially reported hearing loud chirping noises um, that was later found or at least argued to have been crickets that existed in Cuba. The I believe it was like the short tail indie was the variation of cricket in the article um, and study. Well, sorry, the study that was eventually leaked. Um, it was found that, yeah, indies short tailed cricket. This was um, the rate and the pulse of the chirping was almost identical when you account for the fact that the diplomats were recording in a building and as sound travels over time and space, the rate would change. So the fact that like the chirping, they could identify the sound was it, – it's fascinating that no one discusses that. Um, the FBI did their own independent investigation based on reports from the Havana syndrome victims. And they, at the time, determined it to be a mass psychogenic illness. This made both the victims, their doctors, and the CIA very angry. So they later retracted that statement. So even within the government's own interpretation of this, there's conflict. The report that they put out in December 2020, um, if you look through it, what it argues is that it wasn't sonic weapons. It was probably radio frequency weapons, directed energy weapons. But if you actually look further into the report, they also talk about, for example, the fact that um, Cuba was experiencing an outbreak of the Zika virus. And although they can't, although they think it's unlikely it was Zika virus, they can't discount the fact that it may have been. And the fact that Cuba was fumigating, um, over fumigating for Zika, again, they can't state definitively that it is that, but they can't rule it out either. So there's all of these things that probably led to the actual physical ailments, the Zika virus, the fumigation. Um, and someone picked up on that and ran with it. But as time goes on, the story just keeps changing and evolving, transforming, mutating. Have you ever spoken to like a targeted individual? Have you? I have, yes. I've tried writing about it. It can be very hard if you are connecting with people through the TI forums, through subreddit, things like that. Um, one of the stories I wrote about a few years ago on my personal blog is something about this thing called the Chicken Whackers, which happened out in Western Colorado. It's like a satanic panic era idea of like a secretive cult that was um, sacrificing children, and they went by the name of the Chicken Whackers. And trying to interact with people to get information on that on Reddit was really hard because you would get people being like, yeah, come out here, come out here. Let, I'll talk to you, but you, we have to do it in person. And I'm like, man, I don't know you. I'm, I live in Philadelphia. I'm not flying out to Western Colorado just to talk to you and then maybe end up murdered. Ever since I've started to like have more Twitter followers than like my immediate family, <laughs> basically, <laughs> like I have these people that direct message me and they'll ask me questions, obviously, because they want me to answer a specific way so they can jump down my throat. And like, often it's like, how do you know that MK Ultra isn't real? Or, you know, why do you think that that wasn't satanic ritual abuse wasn't happening or whatever? And, um, and I just keep coming to the conclusion that the CIA wants nothing more than for people to sit around and talk about MK Ultra and psychic driving and reprogramming and 
monarch mind control and all these things, because then we're not talking about rendition. We're not talking about enhanced interrogation. We're not talking about the actual advances in psychological manipulation that happened as a direct result of the CIA going down this path of MKUltra and figuring out that it doesn't work, that people aren't simplistic robots that are easily reprogrammed and then had to refine their techniques or try different avenues of research, you know, human terrain, anthropology, stuff like that. So it's like the conspiracy theorists are really in that way, like the system's greatest tool or, you know, that's a great benefit to the system. Right. And I absolutely agree with you on many points there. For example, like one of the things I said, and I know you've uh, discussed it is like the case of the finders where satanic ritual abuse comes up. I personally don't see it there. I think what actually happened was they were probably um, intelligence assets in the Soviet Union, the DPRK in Vietnam in that era, because we have evidence that they were traveling to and from those countries. But the stuff with Satanism doesn't really, there isn't a convincing connection for me there. And in fact, it was probably a lingering thread left precisely because that's what people obsess about, rather than looking at like why this group of hippies had defense contracts in the 80s for you know teaching computers, or why as journalists they were traveling to countries that would have been off limits to anyone but people who had you know the full express uh, the full support of the State Department. Well, I could actually explain away all that stuff, but we've already okay. been talking for an hour, so let's do it another time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 